Anybody who names the name of the Lord in this country ought to be concerned about that. We're at the tipping point morally. We have put our seal of approval on perversion in America. We're at the tipping point. And unlike any time in my lifetime, and that I know anything about in history, all the way back to the Civil War, we're at the tipping point. At the Civil War, it was so crucial because our nation could have divided and self-destructed. It was all over slavery. Today, it's all about slavery. Not the kind they dealt with back then, but slavery to a debt that nobody can pay. Slavery to a way of life that nobody really wants to experience. We used to be the mightiest nation on the earth. We're quickly losing that. And what made us mighty? The God of our forefathers. So I want to speak today in this last of the three series, The Power of One. I want to talk about the power of one. So I'm going to put one verse up here. And I want you to read it with me because this is uh, quite a statement. It shows how strong one person can be who is walking with God. So let's read it. Are you ready? One man of you shall chase a thousand. How in the world can that happen? He tells us, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. One person walking with God is a majority. And I believe that. One nation under God is going to be the mightiest nation on earth. Now let's pray. Father, thank you that as we close out this series, you are the God who answers prayer. And Lord, we're asking you to move again in America and begin with your people and raise up those who will stand in the gap and stand up for you. And we thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can be seated. And I'm looking forward to hitting a restaurant today. I think Kathy has chosen ours, and I'm sure I'll be led right to it. And I'm looking forward to standing up and singing and bring a little bit of sunshine into the lives of people who may not have heard the gospel in a long time. Amen? Anybody not going to a restaurant? I don't want to see your hand. All right. I heard a great prayer the other day. It went like this. Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, greedy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. However, I'm about to get out of bed in a few minutes. And I'm going to need a lot more help after that. Amen. Now, I like that. I got to tell you what's happening in our world today helps me get out of bed with fresh determination to do everything that I can do to turn things around in this country. As I said, this is the third week in the series, America at the Tipping Point. In a few short weeks, Americans are going to vote in the most important election absolutely in my lifetime. As I already stated, I think all the way back to the Civil War. I think we're that close to losing the country that we've all known and loved and grown up in. And yet, God can turn it on a dime if God's people pray. 
Now, with November 6th just around the corner, I want to talk to you about the power that you have as an individual, not just in light of the vote. And when I use the word vote, don't say, oh, man, I want to hear a message from the word. Listen, what we're going to talk about today has great spiritual repercussions because who we vote for and who is elected and comes into power is going to rule this nation, is going to help enact the laws that are passed, is going to appoint judges, is going to set the moral tone of the nation, is going to be involved and in charge of foreign policy, and is going to be instrumental in whether or not the church is persecuted or blessed, received or rejected, and whether or not we maintain religious liberty or lose it, along with freedom of speech and many of our other freedoms. Yes, it's that serious right now. Now, talking about the power of one and the state of the country, did you know that one of the biggest political problems in the United States today is the lack of voter turnout in presidential elections? Now, I want to concern myself with this because over 100 million of us did not vote in 08. Now, I want you to think about that. There's 300 million people in America, and that's including kids, children babies. So 100 million is a huge slice of the adult pie. A hundred million people of us did not vote. And in that hundred million, there were millions of believers who did not go to the voting booth, did not bother, were apathetic, didn't take the time or the trouble to register, to go down there and vote values, vote scripture, vote their conscience. Do you know what Paul would have given to be able to vote for the next Caesar? Because in his day, they had Caesar Nero. Nero was burning Christians at the stake. Nero was a madman. Nero was a scourge on the church. Nero killed James, killed uh, Paul. Nero was uh, a lunatic in power of the greatest power on earth. And if they could have voted him out, don't you know there would have been a huge Christian voting drive? But they didn't have that opportunity because they were a dictatorship, not a republic. And most nations and most people only know all throughout history, either a dictatorship or a monarchy, ruled by a king or ruled by a dictator, a despot, who didn't care what the people thought, and then there are republics. There are republics, and we're living in one. So we have the power of a vote. Now, why don't more people vote knowing that you've got that power? Well, partly because they don't believe that one vote's going to make a difference. I, I just don't believe my one little old vote is going to make any difference in the overall picture of who's elected. Well, it does make a difference. I want to share a little illustration with you. Across America, elementary students were taught the art and science of voting in mock elections. Little elementary, sixth grade and under. In an elementary school mock election, the students had to choose. Now, I'm going to go to Sesame Street here for a minute. Anybody in here never seen Sesame Street? I want to give an altar call and pray for you. If you anybody? All right. Because so, I'm going to talk about Cookie Monster, and I'm going to talk about The Count, and I'm going to talk about Big Bird just for a minute. So I want to know that my audience is connecting with what I'm saying. In the mock election, these kiddos, sixth grade and under, had to choose between Cookie Monster, who would give a cookie 
for voting for him and the count who would seek ways to solve their problems. So they had a choice between Cookie Monster and getting a cookie or the count who would solve their real problems. Now I want to ask you, who do you think won in the vote? Cookie Monster. Yeah, why? Because people love getting things free. People love getting things given to them. And if I'm a kid and I've got a choice to vote for the count who's going to solve problems, or I can vote for the cookie monster and get a cookie immediately, I'm going to get that cookie. But guess what? That's when I'm a kid. I shouldn't be that way as I grow up. Because as I grow up, I see that problems need to be solved. The lesson to be learned from this is much deeper than you might think. With Cookie Monster as their class president, here's what happened. All class problems were answered with a cookie. But so soon, the students began to realize that Cookie Monster wasn't capable of solving any real problems, and their problems remained the same. So the grumbling and the murmuring began. Cookie Monster's bad at this. Cookie Monster's bad at that. Cookie Monster isn't taking care of anything, not solving anything. And the students who voted for the count put a bumper sticker on their car. And it said, don't blame me. I didn't vote for him. And those who didn't vote because they really liked Big Bird, even though he wasn't an option, because Big Bird wasn't an option, they just said, well, I'm going to sit this out because Big Bird's not running. Since Big Bird's not in the race, I can't vote for Cookie Monster or the Count because I really wanted Big Bird. So I'm picking up my marbles and going home, and I'm just not going to vote. So they didn't vote. And they discovered the hard way that by not voting, they had cast a yes vote for whoever won, either the cookie monster or the count. So what's the lesson for us adults? Well, first, what they learned is what we need to know, that, 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 that elections have consequences and I have power in my one vote. My one vote counts. And they learned that elections have consequences that they've got to live with whoever is elected, so they should have involved themselves. If they wanted Big Bird and he wasn't there, they still should have voted for the closest to what they wanted. And then third, elections reveal that most people must be Big Bird supporters because statistics show us every election time that only a small percent of people get in there and vote, and a majority have got to live under what a minority voted in. Well, what does all this mean? It means that either people aren't voting because they don't care for the candidates or they don't know about, enough about them to bother to vote. The moral of the story is don't be so stuck on Big Bird that you don't turn out. Because let me tell you a truth about life. Sometimes you've got to make a choice between just okay and not okay rather than getting exactly what you want because rarely in any kind of an election are you going to get exactly what you want. You've got to get to the closest of what you want. You won't get exactly what you want. Make an educated choice. You've got the power of one and you need to use it because one person and one vote makes a huge difference. History reveals some amazing things about one vote. Listen to some of these stories. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of all of England. One vote. In 1776, one vote in the Continental Congress gave the United States the English language 
instead of German. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Because of one vote, we're speaking German or English and not German. One vote and we'd be speaking German and not English. One vote. In 1800, one vote kept Aaron Burr, who was later charged with treason, from becoming president. And that one vote, one vote, elected Thomas Jefferson instead. In 1845, one vote in the U.S. Congress brought Texas into the Union. We're in the Union because of one vote. That same vote also resulted in the U.S. acquisition of Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, California, and part of Colorado. So I told the early service, if you like snowing in Colorado or skiing in Colorado and you love that snow, you can go there because of one vote. In 1867, the purchase of Alaska from Russia was ratified in the U.S. Senate by only one vote. In 1868, Andrew Johnson, who became president after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, was impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives for abusing his executive powers and was tried in the U.S. Senate but found not guilty by one vote. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a voting republic. In 1920, ladies, one Tennessee vote ratified the 19th Amendment to the Constitution giving women the right to vote. One vote gave women the right to vote. And this one really gets me in 1923. One vote gave Adolf Hitler leadership of the Nazi party. One vote. One vote resulted in the Holocaust. One vote. And when it comes to a presidential election, listen to this. In 1960, Richard Nixon lost the presidential election and John Kennedy won it by a margin of less than one voter per precinct in Illinois. One voter in per precinct in Illinois threw the election the other way. If the person who cast the deciding vote in the examples above had not voted, what would have happened to our country and to our world? We'd be very, very different starting with speaking another language. Say with me, there's power in one. There is power in one. One, the Bible says, can put a thousand to flight. One person with God and who God is with is a majority. There's power in one. I run across people all the time who have an attitude. Here's their attitude. Well, I'm just so small, so insignificant, so itty, itsy bitsy. Uh, uh, no count, that I don't think I can make a difference no matter how hard I try. What's one vote? I don't think I make any difference. I want to shout back to them. Did you ever see the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? That we're all going to be watching for the umpteenth time in a couple of months with Jimmy Stewart. Rent it now because it's all about how important one life is. Your presence, your vote, Christ in just you is the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I like what D.L. Moody, he told the story when he was a young man, a shoe salesman in Chicago. He heard a man preaching and this man said, 
He said, the world is yet to see, to see what one man totally submitted to God can do. And Moody said to himself, I will be that man. And Moody set out and he changed the entire English-speaking world, shook England and shook America with the preaching of the gospel in the 1800s. He trailblazed mass evangelism that Billy Graham would later follow. And when he was dying, he said the statement again, the world has yet to see what one man totally yielded to God can do. He said, I will be that man. And I want to say with him, I want to be that man. Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that person? The world is yet to see it. Helen Keller was born without sight and without hearing. Can you imagine that? Couldn't hear a thing, couldn't see a thing. She had to be taught through touch. But once she learned to communicate, she wrote this, I'm only one, but still I am one. I can't do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. And this woman who couldn't hear and couldn't see and was a nightmare for her teacher for years touched the world with her story because she believed being one, she had power as one and could make a difference as one. I'm looking at a great big sanctuary full of potential right now. Christ in you can do all things. You can touch your world for him. You can shine his light into the darkness. You can make a difference in the lives of people. You can make them sit up and take notice that God is real. You are an agent of change. You are not a question mark. You are an exclamation point. I got to read in the Bible and I found a lot of examples, several examples of the power of one. Let me just share a few of them with you. First, I discovered one little boy. John 6 verse 9 tells the story of Jesus facing a crowd of people, about 5,000 people. And they had been following him for a few days and they grew hungry. And, they, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, they're hungry. What are we going to do? What can we give them to eat? The disciples were totally nonplussed. And they said, have no idea. We don't have anything. And so they began to pass the word and check around. And Jesus said, check it out. What have you got? And they ran across one little boy. And the little boy, it says, there is a lad. There is a lad here. One little boy who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And right there, what they said to Jesus is what I hear a lot of people saying. Who am I in light of the great need that I see? What am I amongst so many problems? What they didn't understand is the little bit becomes a lot when Jesus gets hold of it. A little bit becomes a lot when Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, and distributes it. And that's what Jesus did. So one little boy, one little boy said, well, I've got a sack lunch. It's not much. Five barley loaves and two fish, but this is what I've got. It's all I've got. But here, Jesus, and Jesus said, what you just gave me is enough because I just need what you've got. Folks, let me tell you, Jesus just needs what you've got. You may look at yourself and say, I don't have anything to give to the Lord. Oh, yes, you do. You've got you. And you can give you to him. Do you know the power there is in availability to God, which is what this little boy personifies? 
He took that sack lunch and he said, it's available. I'm giving it. It's not much, Lord, but it's yours. It's not much. It's all I've got. Here you go. And Jesus took it. He lifted it up and blessed it. And then he broke it. And then the miracle began of multiplication and distribution where every single one of the 5,000 people were fed and there were 12 baskets left over. So can you see with me one little lone boy made a difference? The power of one availability. I'm going to tell you why God has been able to use my life. And I say this in all humility, but when I was 18 years old, the Spirit of God came upon my life in a very powerful way. And I was very moved. And I looked up to the Lord and I said to him repeatedly, Lord, I don't have anything, but I do have me. And I give you me. And I'm asking you to use me. And I said with Isaiah, Isaiah heard a voice. And the voice of the Lord was saying to him, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who will speak for me? Who will stand for me? Who will be my representative? Who will boldly stand up and speak my word? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And folks, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more powerful than when you say, here am I, send me. Because God says, let me hear that one more time. He say, okay, one more time, here am I, send me. And God will lay his hand on you. He will take you. He will bless you. He will break you. And then he will distribute himself through you to the masses that are in need of life and love and his glory. Folks, I'm going to tell you, it's a great thing to be available. Can you say with me, availability? One little boy made what he had available and God used it and he changed everything. And then I see a little girl, one little girl who was instrumental in the healing of a world military leader. We read about her in 2 Kings 5, 1 through 3. There was a great man named Naaman. It says this about Naaman. Listen to his resume. He was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, by Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Do you hear those adjectives describing this man? Commander, great, honorable, mighty man of valor. If he were alive in our day, he'd be on the front cover of magazines all over the country. He would be a hero, Naaman. But then the Bible says there was a secret in his life that nobody knew. He was a leper. One day this great man woke up and he saw it somewhere on his body, the beginning of the dread disease, leprosy. Terminal, disfiguring, horrible. It caused you to be ostracized. You lost home. You lost family. You lost everything. You were sent off to leper colonies. He was great. He had everything going, everything on the ball. He was the man of the hour, yet he had this secret that was destroying him. And it's the same way with people today. Leprosy in the Bible has always been a type of sin. And we read about great people, famous people, rich people who seem to have everything. And then we read about a crash. Something happens and their lives crash. And how in the world did that happen? Because the leprosy of sin was eating away at them. And so at first he tried to cover it up. 
And he went about his business. And he walked out and everybody gave him the accolades that he so deserved. But he knew that on the inside he was desperate and the desperation was growing. And one day the Syrians went out on a raid and they came back with a little Jewish girl that they took captive. And she began to wait on Naaman's wife. And, of course, the wife knew the secret, as the wives usually do, or the husbands usually do, because they're the closest. She knew about his leprosy. And somehow this little girl, this little Jewish teenager, learned about the leprosy. And she made a statement of faith. She made a statement of boldness. The little boy represented availability, but this little girl represents boldness because she saw the need and she said, if only my master were, the pro- were with the prophet who is in Samaria... Listen to her faith. He would heal him of his leprosy. She's talking about Elijah. See, Elijah was the Jesus of that day. He was the man of God for the hour of that day. And she knew about him. And she said, if only my master, if only Naaman knew about Elijah, he would be healed. Not maybe, not might, not hope hope so, perhaps so. Said he will be healed if he can just get to him. So Naaman, as the story goes, got together a great entourage and went knocking on Elijah's door. Elijah didn't even go to the door. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. You need to dip down in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman was offended. He said, you're going to send me to that dirty old river? I don't want to go to that river. Give me a better river. Give me a more respectable river, and I'll go do what you said. And there was a message here because there was only one river that could heal him. And there's only one Savior who can heal you. There was only one river he could dip in and be healed. There's only one Savior you can turn to and be healed. I want to tell you, it's not Buddha, and it's not Muhammad, and it's not Confucius. His name is Jesus. Only Jesus died for you. And he said, well, I don't want to go dip in the Jordan. And they basically said, if you don't dip in the Jordan, you're not going to be healed. And his pride almost kept him from being healed. And his men knew it. So his men said, hey, if you go down in that Jordan and you come out healed, haven't you done some great thing? And they puffed him up and appealed to his pride. And he said, okay, I'll go give it a try. Down once he went, down twice, thrice, four times, five times. On the fifth time, he's still a leper. Sixth time, he's still a leper. But the seventh time, the seventh dip was, was the dip of obedience and faith. And down he went. And when he came up, his, the Bible says his skin was like a baby's skin. And he came out of there and he said, I believe in the God of Israel. I believe in Jehovah Almighty God. One little girl was bold enough to tell the truth and lead him to the one who could really heal him. One little boy available for God. One little girl bold for God. And another example of the power of one is one lone woman. Esther was instrumental in saving a nation. She represents courage for God. With the specter of genocide hanging over the Jewish people, the king whose queen she was, had released an edict that all the Jewish people would be eliminated on a given day. He had been put up to it by the wicked Haman. And Esther learned of it. And her uncle came to her and said this, Esther, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance is going to arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Folks, do you know that there's a time that if you don't speak, it's going to bring you into danger? I believe churches all over America ought to be speaking 
standing up, preaching Christ and the blood, heaven, hell, the word of God, telling the truth. Because a nation can get to the place where if you don't speak, it can cause you to perish. And then he said to her, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And she said, I hear you. She called for a fast. And then she went into the king and revealed the evil plot. It was turned. All the Jewish people in Persia were delivered. And a great catastrophe was avoided. A satanic assignment was canceled. And there are satanic assignments on the lives of people you know and I know. And I believe there's a satanic assignment on this country. And what is God looking for? His people to fast and to pray and to call out. And that which the enemy has meant for evil will be turned for our good if we will seek the living God. I'm talking faith to you today, the power of prayer to you today. I want you to know that there is power in one. And if there's power in one, then two will put 10,000 to flight. A little boy, a little girl, and one lone woman. And then I want to talk about one lone man. His name was Noah. Now, when we think about Noah, we think of just Noah and a big boat. And that's the way we, with animals sticking their heads out the windows. And that's the way we think of him. But let me tell you what a man of faith this guy was, Noah. The Bible says the eye of the Lord scanned the entire planet and could only find one man who had faith. Can you imagine being the only person on the planet with faith in God? One man. And God called him and said, Noah, I'm sending a judgment. I'm going to wipe out the human race. I regret, I regret that I've made them. They've sinned against me and they've crossed the line. It's over. I want you to start building a boat. And he gave him the blueprint. I want you to build an ark. And he gave him the blueprint. And the Bible says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. If you went out there after Noah had been approached by God, with one hand he's preaching to his world. For 120, 110, 120 years he warned his generation. God is sending judgment. God is going to send a flood. You, I'm building the ark by which you can escape. When I'm finished with this ark, you need to get in it because it's going to be the only way for you to be saved. And if you don't get in the ark, you're going to perish. And of course, we can all see the parallel. If you don't get into Jesus, he's the ark of the new covenant. When judgment comes, if you're not in Jesus, you're going to perish. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He said they were, in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So, well, Pastor Jeff, that doesn't sound real sinful, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. What was wrong with that? Exactly that. They were utterly, totally unmoved by the word of God, the warnings of God. Rather than eating and drinking, they should have been repenting and praying. But instead they were just, oh, yeah, yeah, the nutty old man down there building the boat. Don't worry about him. But he kept on building, and one day he was finished, and God gave them a sign all of a sudden, two of every species of creatures that God had ever created began to enter that ark supernaturally without a human being guiding them. Lions walked in, tigers walked in, bears walked in, birds flew in. By patience, the snail reached the ark. 
And he crawled up and went through that door. And one day, the time was up. And every creature was in it. And it says that God said, now Noah, get your family in there. And they went in there and that God gave seven more days to a watching world. Seven days. Seven days of final grace. Seven days of final warning. Seven days during which time they could have entered through that door. There was only one door. There was only one ark. There was only one way out. That's why Jesus said, I'm the door. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And after the seventh day, it says, God, shut the door. Can you imagine the sound of that? The sound of too late. The sound of can't get in anymore. The sound of grace is over. And the rain fell. And yet there were eight people in that ark. And Noah, by faith, saved mankind from extinction. And the whole earth was repopulated by Noah's sons. One man. One lone man, one lone woman, one little boy, one little girl. One person made a huge difference. But I can't close without talking about my favorite. Because through one man, Jesus Christ, sin was destroyed. He's my favorite. Thank God for that one man. The Bible says, Romans 5, 18 and 19, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Thank God that Jesus stretched out his hands and his feet. And they nailed him to that old rugged cross. And folks, let me tell you, that's your ark. That's the door. That's the way. That's the only way to dodge the coming judgment and wrath of God that's going to fall on this planet as surely as you're sitting in that chair. There is no way a nation can sin like ours has and like the other nations of the world have sinned like they have without the wrath of God being poured out and God judging them. But there is an ark. There is an open door. Do you see it? There it is. It's Jesus on the cross. There he is on that hill. Do you see him there hanging? And on that cross, he took my judgment, your judgment, my wrath, your wrath. God's wrath fell on him. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sin away. Amen. And only he could do it. In God's economy, one man redeemed the world by stretching out his arms and giving of himself a perfect sacrifice for all. Thank God for Jesus. Have you been to that cross? Do you need to return to that cross? Have you allowed the blood that was shed on that cross to wash you of your sin? So today we all possess the power of one. And each one matters when you pull the lever to vote for who will rule over our country, choose our judges, create our laws, and serve as an example for our children. Martin Luther King said, Voting is more than a badge of citizenship and dignity. Voting is a tool for change. Cast your one vote and make a difference in the next election. But more than that, give your one life to Jesus Christ. 
and let him bless you and lead you. Can you stand with me today? I'm going to ask us to bow for just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that one man brought about my redemption. One Savior, one Messiah, one way, truth, and life. And I thank you, Lord, that that one man loved us more than we could ever know. And that one man took my punishment. Now, Lord, I pray that you will help all of us here today to avail ourselves of that blessing. First, Lord, help us to use the liberty we have to cast a vote. Secondly, Lord, help us to do what that little boy did and give you all that we have. Can you lift your hands to him today, church? And to say, Lord, I give you all that I have. Take me. Bless me. Break me. Distribute your life through me. In Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed for a moment of prayer, I don't know where all of you are today in your spiritual walk with God. But I know that we all need Him. And maybe you've gotten away from Him. You used to walk with the Lord, but step by step, you've just you've drifted. I've drifted before. I know exactly what that's like. You drift, and, and you don't even know you're drifting until you wake up and you're far from where you used to be. You know, the Lord loves you so much today. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come back into His arms. And maybe you've never had the miracle of saying, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart and give me a new beginning, a new life. I'm asking you to come and live inside of me and be my Savior and Lord. And you can do that today. So with our heads bowed, I'm going to ask a real important question. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories, and I do want to return to him. I want to come to him. I want to give all that I have to him today so that he can give me all that he has if you can say that raise your hand right where you are and I want to pray with you God bless you God bless you and you and you many of you and you God bless you in just a moment I'm going to ask you folks that raise your hand to come down and we also want to pray for the sick we want to pray that God will heal you some of you need a healing in your body some need a healing in your home God is a God of healing, and we want to pray a prayer of faith over you. So if you raise your hand in response to coming to Christ, or if you need the Lord to heal you, I want you to begin right now, all of you, to begin to make your way down. We're going to pray for you right here. Don't be worried about what people think if you come down. Who cares what they think? What matters is what God thinks. So you come now. If you raise your hand, come now. Come quickly. Don't even sit and think about it. Just come, and we want to pray for you today.